Hello, my brethren, my fellow seekers, my fellow believers in the church of 93, 94. I don't know why when I hit record on this thing, I go full like happy, hairy, hard on all of a sudden, get like my radio voice on. Dave Horning, who I have known for a very, very, very long time, has come on the show he was excited. I've been excited to have him on. He is like not just a lifelong friend. He is a lifelong or almost lifelong Tool fan. He loves Tool, but he's no longer like, uh, well, you'll hear him talk. He, he, he's, he's not quite as devoted as a disciple as he perhaps once was. He is a grown-ass man. He loves and respects the work of Tool. Uh, I don't know that he makes him like a center of his life. But uh, you know what I mean? He's just, he's aged and wizened. He's a father now. He has a more realistic perspective on Tool than I think maybe I thought that he did. Or at least like based on my perceptions of how he felt about Tool maybe 10, 15 years ago. But he loves Tool. Uh, He's here for some Tool talk. Uh, Talking Undertow. On their 1994 album, Twice Removed, the band Sloan has a song called Coax Me. And one of the lines from that song is, it's not the band I hate, it's the fans. And I wouldn't say that I've hated the fans of Tool, but as Dave and I will discuss, there are some fans that, um, I don't want to say they're problematic, I don't want to like paint all tool fans with one brush that's not fair nor is it accurate but there are some really strident tool fans we'll say that and there are some tool fans that maybe made me feel or maybe i made myself feel by listening to other tool fans that tool was something that i couldn't get into that tool was something that I couldn't like enough. I couldn't join that club because I there, there are no casual members. There are no fair weather fans of Tool. It's like you are getting the fucking tattoos or you aren't. So here's Dave, who I forgot to ask if he has any Tool tattoos. I wouldn't be surprised. I feel like he does, but I could be wrong. Here is me and Dave talking about everything but Tool tattoos. What up? Hey, buddy. How you doing? Good, man. How are you? All right. Are you drinking your Maynard wine? Do you have it? Right here. <laughs> Merkin Vineyards Chupacabra Vintage 2021. Merkin Vineyards? Merkin Vineyards, yeah. Clever. Clever. It, uh, his other label is uh, Caduceus Cellars. I don't get that reference, but okay. Caduceus, it's the, uh, you know, the uh, snake on the uh, staff the um you know oh the medical like staff. medical yeah yeah yeah, okay. yeah that's a caduceus oh okay something every day yeah. I, i'm not making you drink alone I, I'm, I'm drinking beer it's not tool themed right. beer, but it's michigan themed beer <laughs> well i mean that's kind of a theme uh you know maynard grew up in between michigan and ohio so did he now see yeah I, I did not know that yeah you can really tell uh you listen to the whole whole album all the way through i take it for this oh yeah of course did you listen through all the way to the uh, end where there's the hidden track? Yes. Then like the weird spoken word afterwards? Yeah. It was daylight when you woke up in your ditch. You looked up at your sky. That, that means- After all the crickets? All right. So it just struck me when I was giving it a re-listen in preparation for this, that like, he sounds so Michigan <laughs> in that, that part where he's talking, where he's like, you woke up in your grass and you looked up at your sky. He like sounds so Michigan, like living outside of Michigan now for more of my life than I lived in it. Like yeah. I can really, really detect a Michigan accent. Oh, sure. I, I didn't believe it existed until I moved to Philadelphia and people started to point it out to me. And I kind of worked on my Michigan accent, my accent. My accent. Yeah. 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 
how about uh let's start at the beginning tell the good people how you and i know one another david okay well you and i grew up on the same block a picture just came up in facebook memories of uh, us at the bus stop in elementary school with uh, all of us with our hilarious bowl haircuts i think i'm holding like some sort of slimy amphibian or something <laughs> as you often were yeah your your older brother and i were super super tight growing up you know you were like a little brother to me growing up too so i probably uh, <laughs> gave you some undue abuse as older <laughs> brothers tend to do <laughs> yeah you were like a bonus older brother like in case mine didn't heap enough abuse on me i, I had you as backup <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. uh, like my older brother, I mean, you are like family to me. We, we've been friends. I mean, literally, you're one of the people I've known longest in my life, really, at this point. Absolutely, yeah. You know, you've been like to Skate, my family reunion. Skating on the pond with you, yeah, family mm-hmm. reunion stuff. Super tight, super tight. Yet I've still not met your son. Yeah, we, uh, you know, COVID happened. <laughs> I blame COVID. Yeah, like he's basically a COVID baby. He, we had him and then, you know, COVID shut everything down for a couple of years. So yeah. traveling has been minimal since then. Well, other than me for my job. <laughs> other than the fact that you fly planes for a living. Yeah. So how did you come to this album, to Tools Undertow? Do you remember? Oh, man. Uh, that's so hard. I'd probably be this butthead, I would say. Hey, Beavis. <laughs> you know what this band is called? Uh, <laughs> tool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tool. Okay. I mean, more than likely, it was sitting on your couch after playing Robotech or uh, or Rifts or something. Uh-huh. Uh, those those were role playing games that Travis and I played together with Judd. Yeah, my brother. Yep. Yeah. Probably just late night on your couch with uh, Beavis and Butthead playing. Like they played the sober video, and when the guy gets all crazy, and he like shakes his <laughs> arm. arm that part, they, yeah, yeah, they uh, definitely make some masturbation references there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, whoa, yeah. If I could move my arm that fast, I'd never leave the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think that's probably my first exposure to it, which is pretty interesting because uh, I had a buddy over here that was uh, in the army with me, and he just happens to live in this town now. And we were Mm -hmm. uh, talking about this album, and he was like well in tune to Tool already at that point. He, uh, was like waiting on bated breath for this album to come out after having heard opiate. And he's like, I was kind of oh. let down at how, how like soft this was after how hard opiate was like opiates pretty much a metal album. Right. Yeah. And then this kind of moved into the prog realm. It's kind of like prog metal, I, I guess. So I had not listened to this album in a long time. I remember hearing the single for sober, on 89x and me and my brother I, you know listening to, to this album in preparation for recording with you it really brought me back to like being in my brother judd's basement room at my dad's house and like kind of hanging out down there and like finding out these new bands you know the canadian airwaves and and getting into that kind of stuff and then he actually bought the cd and so i remember like listening to it in his room in his basement and i I got my own copy too. I'm pretty sure I recorded a cassette off his CD, but I had not listened to this album since the mid nineties. And this is probably the tool album I'm most familiar with, but I still had not listened to it since, I don't know, 95, 96. But one of the things that really stuck out to me was exactly what you say that this is like prog rock It's a lot more metal, like straightforward metal than I remembered, but it's also like almost like Led Zeppelin classic riffage. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Adam Jones can be a riff master if he needs to be yeah for sure yeah i don't think i appreciated him properly he's good yeah yeah in preparation for this i found out that uh what was their uh former bass player uh the one this is like the last album he played with them um paul something paul d uh paul the dude Paul to something. <laughs> well, anyways, he wanted to start playing guitar. I just yeah. learned and get somebody else to come in on bass. And like, we don't need some other asshole in this band. So they just like fired him because they're like, he wouldn't relent on wanting to also play guitar. Yeah. Like, oh, nope, Adam's got it. So, yeah, I don't know. Tool has definitely continued uh, their trajectory fine without him, I would say. They've done just fine. Uh, it could be argued that they prospered. What's your favorite song on this album or like some of the standout moments on this album? What's your faves? Let's see here. Flood is up there. Okay. 
I don't know. I just uh, I love the big, long, swelling intro. Mm-hmm. Four minutes or something. Yeah, it builds that big old crescendo, and then like then it kind of brings you back down where it comes into the driving lyrics. That one probably, as I've gone on, has come to be closer to the top of the list. I remember back in the day, Swamp Song. Yeah. That was, uh, you know, that was like just real youthful angst. <laughs> Swamp Song was probably at the forefront for me. Yeah, that one stuck out to me. Like, even though I hadn't listened to it in a long time, I'm like, oh, this is, uh, I couldn't have told you the name of this song, but if I was going to just sing a random Tool song, this would probably be the one that comes to my head, you know, that or Prison Sex. Yeah. Oh, man, and the way his voice is just all, uh, I don't know what range he has, but he's higher pitched than me, you know, yeah. um, like in, in the vocals that I, I like to sing. I, so like trying to sing him is difficult. Uh, Maynard's vocal range, yeah, he's up there, but like when when he's like threatening, but at a high pitch, it's like kind of contradictory, but it, it, it's fun. I don't know. I like it. Are there tracks that you think are weaker than others? Are there any weak tracks on the album or any criticisms that you have for the album? I don't know, man. Uh, I do like the whole thing. I mean, it's it'd be hard for me to say. Um, yeah, okay. That's, I mean, that's I really fine. Do, I do like them all. I mean, I think it's just, it's more highlights than anything. Like Four Degrees, I love, love that. You know, this whole album is kind of steeped in the whole 90s. Like, how did we get all of these rumors uh, without the internet back then, right? Like uh, Marilyn Manson removing his rib to, like, blow himself or whatever. Turns out that wasn't true. Yeah, there's stuff like this, like this song, Four Degrees. Uh Uh-huh. The rumor was four degrees is the difference in temperature between the vagina and the anus. Oh, so um, <laughs> I thought it could be like climate change or something. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, take it up four degrees higher, you know. And there is a lot of uh, sodomy reference in this whole album. Y- yeah. So I thought that the lyrics to prison sex were disturbing before I sat down and read them a couple days ago. Uh-huh. Holy fucking shit. I thought it was about, you know rape in a prison, which is bad. Somehow it's worse than that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, This is one of the few songs that the band has actually come out and like leveled with people like this is what this song is about. And um, I don't know, did you stumble into them saying that in any interviews or anything? I mean, I didn't have to. It's really obvious when you read the lyrics yeah. what the song's about. It's, it's about the cycle of childhood sexual abuse. Right, right. become the abuser without you know seeking out therapy or whatever else so yeah 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 this has become some some kind of temporary sanity 
Uh, you don't need therapy. More than a little problematic. That said, it's probably also my favorite song on the album as far as the tune goes. I mean, I think it fucking rules. It is stellar, it's yeah. disturbing as shit. Yeah, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. So they're dark. Yeah. They're dark, yeah. right? This has always been something like, you know, I, I've got my darkness. I've always had things that attract me that are dark. Hell, I'm drinking my wine out of a claw wine glass right now. <laughs> <laughs> You've got some goth in you. <laughs> yeah, so I, I get it. I guess I always found Tool just like a, a little too dark for my taste, which is saying a lot. There's levity in their stuff too, right? I mean, like they're not always doing gloom. Oh yeah, I know. You know, just through the lyrics and vocals standpoints, mm-hmm. Maynard is one of the most irreverent people that you can think about. Like, look at the other projects that he's done, like Little Pig, Little Pig, Let Me In from uh, the Green Jelly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Green Jello too. I had that album. Yeah. And Pucifer, like that's yeah. all like irreverence, you know, lots of lots of comedic stuff. I think he's like slightly more intelligent than the rest of your rockers out there. So his comedy can like fall on a lot of deaf ears. They're big Bill Hicks fans, right? Which I respect. Oh, yeah. I, I love Bill Hicks, but I also feel like that attitude you just kind of got at, like that belief that they're smarter than other rock bands or that he's like, that's. That's kind of the vibe I've often gotten from Tool fans, and I've always just kind of been oh. like, yeah, okay. So we're talking about Tool fans now, right? We don't let's have to. <laughs> no, let's do it. Let's okay. talk about Tool All right. fans. So uh, if you listeners out there don't know the reputation of Tool fans, they are some of the, the fans that have the worst reputation amongst fans out there, and they are rabid. They're like the Philadelphia of music fans, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, and Tool fans are <laughs> rabid. Maynard, the singer, lives uh, just up the hill from me. I could probably point you out the window and show you the mountain that he lives on the other side of. Is that how you chose where you live? Uh, (laughs) No, but it it is how I chose something else in life, which goes back to the rumors that we were talking about. uh, Okay, you got a rib removed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was uh, my choice in MOSs in the Army, which that ended up not turning out to be true. But anyways, um, so... Maynard is in beverage making, adult beverage making, and my wife was also in the adult beverage circle. She worked in the craft beverage industry for many years here before we had kids. Mm -hmm. So we ran in the same circles and I worked for, uh, I mean, she worked for a distribution company that gave different beverages to his other establishments that weren't wine. Okay. So we got to know like the general manager of one of his places, uh, his head chef's still a good friend. Some of the other employees there. And we got invited to the Verde Valley Wine Festival one time and I met the man. You met Maynard? Yeah. All yeah. Right. Because he was kind of he was kind of the honcho of this thing. Like he's a part of the resurgence of the whole wine culture here. He saw that this place looked like Tuscany on the side of the mountain where he was living and mm-hmm. he started growing wines. Gio's good friend, that's my wife. I was there with my parents because I had just graduated college and my wife and we all came together and I met this dude Jesse for the first time he was like the GM of uh his Osteria and he's like oh I saw Maynard over there and my mom's like hey isn't that your rock star guy <laughs> and I'm like yeah mom yeah. that's Maynard <laughs> and Jesse's sitting there holding the, his wine and he's like kind of looking out his eyelids at us like oh god here's these like gaper midwesterners you know like <laughs> gawking at Maynard you know like my okay. mom's reaction didn't help at all I'm like I could be cool really dude yeah <laughs> anyways um <laughs> then Gio says to Jesse like hey why don't you introduce Dave to Maynard and he's like we don't do that yeah <laughs> and we're like what well, it turns out people show up armed in the small town of looking for Maynard. Armed? Why armed? Armed. I don't know. They're crazy. People get it in their heads that they want to do things or whatever. Anyway, it ended up being, yeah, I don't know, man. You know, I'm going to bleep out the town name. <laughs> Messiah stuff. Yeah, bleep out the town name. Um, I don't know. You know how people get when, like I said, 
Tool fans are rabid. They look at this as like a religion, you know? They look for these weird mathematical equations. It's all that same conspiracy stuff. But is that shit there? Are there secret messages? Are there mathematical equations hidden in the lyrics? Is that shit there? I don't think so. But, you know, all their albums are like steeped in the symbology. And, uh-huh. you know, they, they do like to look into all of that, like, spirit realm stuff and like ancient temple writings and all that stuff. Like yeah. if you go onto their website, they all talk about it. So, you know, you're going to attract some people that take that stuff a little bit too far. Who's the artist? That's Adam Jones. Adam Jones does all of, all of the claymation the and yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And he does all of the posters and all that stuff, all that psychedelic shit that's associated yeah. with them. Okay. So Absolutely, that's very much yeah. coming out of the band. I knew that he did the artwork of, of undertow. I didn't know that he, he's done all their artwork, right? He's like their guy. Yeah, and like he did all the claymation in the videos and everything. Like uh-huh. most of the band members, if I recall, had something to do with working in Hollywood on sets and doing like production stuff. Yeah, I know the bass player did these videos for the two videos. I think there were only two videos they released for this. Adam did the claymation for him for Prison Sex and Sober. There was a video for Prison Sex that was their second single from this album. Yeah, Jesus Christ, yeah. Shit, Blood, and Come on My Hands was their second single. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that must have been, I guess, before or after they had to like release the Walmart version of this album that was just like a, a barcode without the obese lady inside and all yeah. that, the naked woman. Yeah, I remember it. That was like artwork unlike I had seen on another album before, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Adam Jones did make the sculpture that they photographed. That's a sculpture. Of ribs. The ribs on the front. Yeah. And I remember finding out through that, you know, 90s rumor vine, you could hold it up and it was like the tendrils of those ribs or like the sculpture would embrace the obese lady who was like, you know, in a fetal position floating in a blue lit pool or something. But if you like held it up to the light, it would impose itself on it. So it was like she was being embraced by the tendrils of that sculpture. And that's purposeful. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, that's what the rumor mill says anyways, but it worked. Okay, the rumor mill. It might be uh, Pink Floyd over Wiz, you know? (laughs) So if Tool is like this super intelligent Bill Hicks of a band, then why do they seem to attract, you know, Infowar types? I don't know, man. It's just like anything. Why is QAnon popular? You know, it's, it's people who love things like conspiracies. They love things like trying to figure it out without being told uh, and they come to their own conclusions. You know, it's, it's probably all just part of the same psychological mindset that allows people to do things like follow QAnon and whatever. Or even like the same impulse that makes us see a face in a tree or whatever. Like you're looking for meaning, whether it's there or not. And they're a band that, you know, it's, it's cryptic and it sounds serious and, you know, they are infusing some stuff in there. Like you said, there is very real symbology used lyrically, used in their artwork and all that kind of stuff. So it does compute. Yeah, but then you pick up the bottom of the case where the CD sits and look at the artwork underneath the pig in the back and it's a cow licking its butthole too, so. I do remember that. I remember like that was like a special secret. Like, hey, if you open up the back, you can look at a picture of a cow licking its own ass. Yep. Art. (laughs) (laughs) There's that irreverence, you know? Was there ever a point where this album kind of like faded to the back and you were more focused on other albums or is this what maybe other tool albums or was this, has this always been in regular rotation for you? Uh, you know, it's definitely, definitely faded in the rotation a lot. Mm-hmm. I was an early adopter of MP3s. I even tried to build an MP3 player that I could attach to my car stereo before they had such a thing as MP3 players. Okay. I've abandoned all my physical copies of everything. I've gone over, so I like I burned it all, and then they're all sitting, you know, in a storage place somewhere or something. That has lent me to listening to a lot of things on just random rotation. Right, if a song off this album pops up, except for maybe uh the end of disgustipated i don't think i really need to like listen to 60 minutes of crickets or whatever but uh <laughs> if, if these songs come on i don't skip them so but you don't sit down and like listen to it as an album in full anymore but it sounds like you don't really do that with albums generally anymore yeah no i do like uh, i'm wearing this aesop shirt yeah i mm-hmm. i listen to this album straight through and you know i i do i like to get to know an album first all the way through i see i, I like to listen to it you know that's 
the old tape days. Like I like to know the flow and like, yeah. you know, this thing the start of the next song after the other one. And like mm-hmm. artists, a lot of times intend flows, mm-hmm. you know, unless their producers tell them to do something otherwise or whatever. Especially something like this. There's intentionality behind it, right? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I'll, I'll give this a good listen through every now and then. And like, I got to say just tool in general, hasn't been heavily in my rotation lately. I mean, their last album came out beer inoculum in 2019, I think in the spring of 2019. Okay. So that's the most recent one was 2019. That was like 13 years in the making or something. Right. Did you ever see them live? Oh, I've probably seen them like maybe seven or eight times. I can't recall the amount. Yeah. Let's see. The first time I saw them was, I think it was probably 2002, I think is the first time I saw him. Okay. I'm pretty sure it was in South Carolina with some army buddies when I was in the army. Okay. Big arena show. Yeah. I think that was before they really started getting into their, oh, wait, no, I absolutely lie. I remember the first time I saw him. It was in 1996. Okay. It was here in Arizona. I was down in Tempe. It was at an outdoor amphitheater. Uh-huh. And, uh, Maynard had announced that one of the band members had just moved to this lovely state of Arizona. And it was an awesome show, big mosh pit, lots of fun, good lights and everything. But I remember, man, there's just this back to the Tool fans. It's weird because Tool, you know, they're like the cusp of metal, the cusp of prog. They'll attract the heavy fans that like don't really like to think about the music just because it's heavy, right? Sure. And then I just remember there was this like drunk brat boy type guy behind me and the whole time uh it was right after um lateralis was released so this, they were, this was mm-hmm. the tour for lateralis and i remember there's that uh see it down in arizona bay lyric and this drunk frat boy is just like arizona bay you hear that we're here to arizona bay <laughs> like, oh god uh yeah, that's so yeah, fun. Yeah, memories. that's a standout of that point. But yeah, Tool fans, <laughs> they're the best. Yeah, you make a good point. The Tool is kind of at this weird nexus where I could see, you know, someone who's a fan of Rush or someone who's a fan of Pantera or someone who's a fan of Ozzy or someone who's a fan of like, you know, Dillinger Escape Plan. I could see anybody who's like super huge into any of those kinds of extremes being into Tool. Yeah. Now, here's a question I have for you about this album specifically, especially since you stuck with them and I fell off. I stopped listening after this album. I mean, I've heard their other stuff. I've heard all of it, you know, but not all of it, but I I heard a lot of it. I tuned out for sure around Anima sometime. But did they keep this style or did they move away from this, would you say? Um, I mean, they have evolved. I guess Mm -hmm. there's with evolution, there's always a moving away from. But man, they have kept some heavy moments. And yeah. they still do really rock. I guess the sound has just evolved. They've refined themselves more, but I don't think it has stepped that much away from their origins here. Okay. And like I was talking with my buddy Josh, talking about wanting it to have been more heavy after Opiate was, I did some reading about this just in preparation of talking, and it turns mm-hmm. out that like, they had already all of this material for this album together and they had all of the stuff from opiate. It could have all been one giant thing, right? That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. I'd read that. Apparently the studio wanted them to release their heaviest stuff first. So they had them like scramble together and record. And that's why I think a lot of it's live recordings is because they just wanted Mm -hmm. them to put out their heaviest stuff first. A lot of opiate is live recordings, you're saying? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So they did that, and opiate was wildly more popular than they thought it was going to be. And then they're like, we got to get you in the studio for more. I'm guessing that's why they got Sylvia Massey to produce Rick Rubin's kind of protege. Yeah. I mean, she's she's definitely somebody of some, some renown, but she was kind of up and coming at that point. I think she also worked with Green Jelly at the time. Yeah, that's true. I think she was kind of instrumental in getting them discovered, really. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, I guess they were friends. Like, they all used to, you know, party in their, like, L.A. We're yeah. trying to make it crash pad places or whatever. And Gotcha. Yeah, I think they were all, all just friends. Do you know how old they were? They were all a little bit older than your standard up-and-comers because they all had that's what I thought. previous lives doing other things before they got popular into music like late 20s early 30s maybe man let's talk about some more of the the rumors so okay 
another rumor about this band and era and album, how they got together was that Maynard was accidentally discovered by screaming at a guy on the road by Danny Carey. Danny Carey heard Maynard just screaming at a guy and he's like, your voice is great. You should come sing for our band. Like that, that was, <laughs> is that true? No, absolutely not. That's absolutely not true at all. <laughs> like, um, okay. All right. It's a good story. Though. Maynard, when he was living in Michigan, had a band based in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I think they were called Children of uh, CAD. What was it called? They were uh, Children of the Anachronistic Dynasty. That was the name of his band. And a terrible name. Yeah. If you look it up, they've got a video out there on the YouTubes about this band playing and Maynard singing. Like basically, uh, it's the origins of Sober. Okay. You know, before the other musicians got their hands on it and turned it into a kick-ass song. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's funny. Let's see, another rumor. Maynard was psychological operations in the Army. Which turns out not to have been true. Turns out not to have been true. Another rumor, I don't know whether or not this is true or not, but so in my meeting with him that day, when I did end up talking to Maynard at the thing, I heeded all my buddy's warnings and like, you know, I, I wasn't like overbearing or anything. I talked to Maynard about wine and stuff, but um, I did join the army and I did join PSYOP because I knew nothing about it. And I heard Maynard had done that, right? Your whole life trajectory. Yeah. Off a rumor. Yeah. I, I ended up joining PSYOP. <laughs> well, I, it was just education too. You know, I, I learned sure. about it and it was very, very interesting place to be in the army. But uh, yeah, I bet. in this conversation with Maynard, I was like, so you were in the army, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was cool. I did my four years and got out. And like, that's why I offer, uh, you know, veterans discounts at all my places because I know how hard it is and everything. And I'm like, Oh, cool. Yeah. So you were psyop because I did that too. And he's like, no, man. <laughs> he's like, I was like a 73 <laughs> something or whatever. I was a field surveyor, you know, the guy who stands out there with the thing, like, that's what I did in the <laughs> army. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, Oh, no. well, I really was psyop. I'm like, where does that come from then? And he's like, well, uh, you know, people just assumed that in interviews and they would ask me no. like, so you were PSYOP, right? And he says he would just like cross his arms, lean back and like give him the, the look out of the top of his <laughs> eyes, you know, and like not say anything. And it's, he's like, yeah, it's my own personal joke. I just let him run with it, you know? <laughs> we're blowing up that myth here. Yeah. Let's see the other the other <laughs> myth about it uh, that he had uh, gone to the USMA Preparatory Academy, which is uh, West Point. That's U.S. Military Academy. Uh-huh. He had done so well in PSYOP that they said you need to go to the USMA and become an officer. Which uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but I think that stems from where he's going. You lie, cheat, and steal, and I cannot tolerate. I think that's, I don't know, a slogan, a motto, or whatever the USMA is. Like, a cadet will not lie, cheat, steal, nor tolerate those who do. Oh, okay. That's where that comes from. So I don't know if he just knew that from whatever. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Let's see. Other rumors about this album. To be debunked. I don't know. There's a whole bunch of them. I just remember it was steeped in, like, mythology back then. and It still is. The band has kind of thrived in this weird space of him leaning back and glaring at people and letting them think whatever they want to think about him and his band, it seems. Yeah, and that's... It's not a bad way to go. I mean, it's, it's good poker playing, you know? Like, they, yeah. didn't, they didn't appear in any of their videos, right? Not where you could see their faces. That goes to some of the whole ethos of their album. So yeah. they, they wanted this album to be their own formula. So after it was recorded, they had a production engineer try to, like, chop down and cut the fat out of a bunch of songs... Mm-hmm to like fit mm-hmm. the radio playability formula. Yeah. I read in one of the rare interviews that they actually had back then, they were like, no, we want our own formula. You know, we want to be us. We don't want to be like the radio formula out there. We don't. Right. So that that's why we got such a, I think, you know, complex and weird and deep and meandering album such as this, you know. They're certainly an iconoclastic band, which I guess they're going to, draw iconoclastic people to them which which makes sense uh when we wrap this up which we're getting towards the end here when we wrap this up what song would you like to go out to or from the album Uh, i mean it's got to be sober it's it's got to be 
All right. I mean, all right. That's a good one to end with. Speaking of like iconic, it's just like that that well of that guitar with like the it like crescendos up. Like they turn the volume up as the the feedback brings it in. That it's just it's it's amazing, <laughs> yeah. man. It still gives me chills to listen to it. You know, it's, it's such sure. a good beginning of a song. You know. It's a really well-produced album and a really well-played album. Uh, before we move on to the last question, is there anything else you wanted to address while you've got the floor, the undertow floor? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Y'all should check it out. It's a lot of fun. I just discovered that this exists. But uh, that last oddball song, Disgustipated, it's kind of like post-industrial. Uh, I guess industrial yeah. is still raging then, so it's kind of industrial whatever. They... <laughs> yeah went out on like the equivalent of craigslist back then whatever it was like the local find a page and they paid 200 bucks for two pianos and yes. outside of the recording studio there's a parking garage and i guess the studio owns it and this is not a myth because there's video evidence of it uh maynard <laughs> actually took and the sounds which the driving sound of that song is a shotgun And yeah. they actually recorded Maynard shooting a shotgun at that piano a bunch. And the video's out there. It's fun. It's on Sylvia Massey's personal YouTube, actually. Oh, that's funny. Didn't they also sledgehammer them? Yeah, I guess some of the guys from Rollins' band were there when Henry was recording with them. And they all like started yeah. like beating the crap. Or was that even Black Flag back then? I don't know. No, that no, that was that was that would have been Rollins' band yeah, okay. at that point. Uh, which is funny. Like listening to this now, I'm like, as a kid. I did not recognize, you know, I knew who Henry Rollins was even when this came out because Liar and that kind of stuff was a pretty big single around the same time. But listening to it the other night, I'm like, oh, shit, that's Henry Rollins. Like, very clearly, that's, there he is, Henry Rollins blowing in. Yeah, Henry Rollins has appeared on a bunch of different albums, like Les Claypool albums and stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he gets around. a collaborator. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I've got some questions unrelated to Tool for you to wrap things up here. The 1990s questions for you. So 1993 was a big year for comic books. So I've got some some iconic moments in comic books. Uh, and I want you to tell me what you think is the most important. Not, this is not necessarily the best. Okay. But what's the most important? Because these, these things all happened in 1993. Uh, DC announced the death of Superman. That was that. Remember when they killed Superman? Yeah. yeah, for like yeah. A minute yeah. that happened. That was a big deal. Uh, while he had been introduced a couple years prior, Deadpool number one was released in 1993. All right. The Tick was canceled by wow. New England Comics in 1993. DC announced the uh, Vertigo offshoot where they would host their adult themed stories like Hellblazer and Sandman and my favorite Transmetropolitan and Preacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hellboy first appeared uh, as a character. And the first web comics went up on the internet. What's the most important? I mean, man, they're all pretty, uh, pretty consequential, right? Yeah, I never was the biggest comic fan. I collected a lot of Spawn. I enjoyed the Spawn stuff, but uh, I mean, just mm -hmm. I mean, how can you avoid comic stuff, especially these days? Well, even in 1993. Yeah, I think the death of Superman has to be just like the most important the most consequential thing that happened because then like you know stuff just got all kind of chaotic and muddled after that <laughs> they had to like reset the whole dc universe yeah, after that, um, eventually but you're right i remember like that lasted for years like people talked about it like it was like as far as comic book events goes it still seems like one of the biggest ever yeah and then it seems like there were some foibles in like him re-emerging as like four different super people or whatever and mm -hmm. like all yeah, that they kind of fucked up that yeah i mean like no wonder why dc's flopping around these days because like <laughs> the source material doesn't give them like a whole lot of greatness to begin with yeah yeah, if they stick too closely to it, they're gonna flop around themselves. I would argue that uh, the creation of Vertigo was a, was a big deal because it kind of set up this whole. You know, a lot of that stuff is still influencing culture. Yeah, yeah, today. absolutely. I mean, were the, I, I I was really blissfully unaware of it at the time. Um, was was it like kind of like looking for like an indie collaborative type? Uh, you know, looking for up and come or like I'm not really sure. Like it was like where they could put all this stuff that was more serious like more adult theme not like you know pornographic but more you know yeah even yeah, though yeah. they had lobo like killing and fucking left and right over at dc yeah uh, they still kind of created this whole other place for more like adult themes like that were not necessarily for kids 
So, so we get fun stuff like the boys, yeah, and whatever these. Days. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of yeah. exactly yeah, that yeah. kind of paved the way. Yeah, I gotcha. Like yeah, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. So yeah, that's consequential as well. That was that was probably the other thing I was leaning towards. But as far as you know, Jerry Seinfeld moments. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's probably Superman. Is it? Yeah, him dying is probably that, and the Infinity Gauntlet are probably the two most famous comic book moments in history but you're not the biggest yeah, comic book yeah. guy so maybe i picked the wrong question for you but you know I, <laughs> it's a, it's a crapshoot never know what you're gonna get all right man well thank you so much for doing this i really appreciate it uh, how was the wine Oh, it's delicious. It's uh, uh, This is like one of the more accessible ones he does. It's, um, let's see here. Dry winter, slightly cooler spring led to bud break. And he goes off on this whole thing on the label. Anyways, um, yeah, it's, I, I'm pretty sure it's a red blend. It's, uh, it's pretty pretty tasty. It was made in Wilcox, Arizona. It's an estate wine. Mm. Anyways, Chupacabra, yeah, it's one of the less expensive ones. His wines run the gamut. You know, gotcha. I'm sure he's got some of the name recognition that allows him to charge, but he does make really good wines, too. So, yeah, he surrounds himself with good, knowledgeable people, and good wine comes from it. And good music, too. All right, man. Yeah, I hope that you uh, come up with a good, uh, you know, signing off catchphrase or whatever, <laughs> but I find it endearing that you do what you do with the last two episodes that I've heard. So I can't quite nail that down, but and we can just kind of let this flounder out, too. I'm going to stop recording now. <laughs> <laughs> talk about the pandemic hang on deal with that i'm sorry i know but there was a point like early in the pandemic where it was like oh thank god for zoom you know thank god for facetime or whatever you know i can like interact with somebody even if i have to see their face through a screen and then that started to get like super tedious and weirdly draining and no longer a good substitute for actual uh, interaction. But that, you know, kind of overdone part of my life, at least for me, is over. So I've kind of been enjoying Zoom again and uh, having the opportunity to talk with some people that some are kind of far or very busy. But, you know, so it was really nice to spend some time with my old friend Dave Horning my old family friend, Dave Horning, I should say, and have some drinks with him and some laughs and talk about one of his favorite bands, Tool. The 1993 album Undertow by the band Tool, the songs were played by Maynard Keenan, Adam Jones, Danny Carey, and Paul Damore, uh, listed as Most Stressticator, Bastardometer, Membrophanes and Bottom Feeder, which is fun. It was produced by Sylvia Massey and released on Zoo Entertainment. If you want to pick it up on a physical copy, you can buy a CD of this album just through Amazon if you want to for 12 bucks. Uh, I bet that the vinyl is out there as well, but I'm not going to look it up. You could go to Tool's YouTube account and listen to a good remastered version of this album if you want to and make sure they get paid for it. If you want to contact me, you could find me on Facebook and I think I'm actually going to open a Twitter account, I think. Uh, you could email me at 9394podcast at gmail.com. If you want to come on this podcast, you can. Just get in touch with me. Let me know which album you want to do. Ideally, it'd be an album that I'm also interested in talking about, um, admittedly. I guess there's two ways I can approach any given album that I do on this podcast. Either it's going to be something that I genuinely love and want to talk about, or something that I genuinely think is an important album and I want 
to hear someone else talk about. Either one of these cases is good. There are admittedly some albums that are important and by some people's standards good that I might not want to do, but they're pretty few and far between. So if you want to come on this podcast, please do get in touch with me. I think it'd be nice if someone came on to talk about the band Therapy, question mark. Therapy? I never understood having a question mark in a band name, but that's the name of the band, Therapy, question mark. They released two albums in 93 and 94. One in 93 is their EP, Hats Off to the Insane. And in 1994, they released their full-length album, Trouble Gum. Both of these albums have the same song, Screamager which I use to start this very podcast. The very first notes you hear on this podcast are from Screamager. So, if someone wants to come on and talk therapy or any other band, do let me know. It'd be cool to have you come on. It'd be great. I'm starting to get like a decent group of people that are interested in coming on regularly. And so we're going to have some of the same voices, which is great, like a rotating cast of guest hosts. But you could pop on once. You could join the roster and come on regularly. You know, who knows? what? It's up to you. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Okay. Uh, oh, shit. I got to come up with an outro. I got to. Yeah. Sorry. Um not really that great at this whole podcasting thing you know it's a hobby A music podcast with Travis Roy is a labor of love. It is not and never will be monetized. Please don't sue.
I know you gave me my chance to uh, fill in any blanks that I missed, but I thought of one much after the fact. Danny Carey is one of the best rock drummers living today. I would be remiss to not talk about his skills. I remember driving around with Steve, who was in awe of Danny Carey's abilities, and he just brought to light that drummers could be better than other drummers. I just didn't even really pay attention, even though I played drums and marching band in high school or whatever. But yeah, Danny Carey is amazing. I don't know if you can fit this in somewhere in the podcast, make the awkward outro go even more awkwarder. Cool.